You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Review Podcast. Hello again, I'm Gus Edwards and welcome to the Retro Wrestling Reviews Podcast. On this episode we'll be reviewing The Great American Bash from 1990. This show was requested by one of our listeners, James from Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks for listening James, you've picked a good show and you're from one of my favourite places in the world. Hopefully I'll get back there soon. If you want to request the show to be reviewed then get in touch at retroreviews at hotmail.com. Last week on the show we reviewed the Battle Royal at the Royal Albert Hall show and I got some great feedback. Strangely though, the most feedback I got was because I refused to repeat the terrible joke that Earthquake made on the show. So for all the people wanting to know what the joke is, here it is. Earthquake's been interviewed by me and Gene and he says, Gene, do you know how long of a boat ride it is from the US to here? Really long, that's why we took the plane. Told you it was terrible, so you can blame Earthquake and not me. If you've missed any of the reviews so far, you can catch up with them all in the archives. Let's get on with today's show. So Great American Bash 1990, July the 7th from Baltimore, Maryland. Our commentators are Jim Ross and Bob Coddle. I always thought I'd seen this show, um, but looking back after watching it again, I don't think I've seen the full show. I've definitely seen the two matches with the, the Southern Boys and the Midnight Express, and obviously Ric Flair and Sting. I've seen them individually. I don't think I've actually ever seen the full show. We go to the ring and the first match is Buddy Landell versus Flying Brian Pillman. We just saw Buddy Landell as a 20 year old on Mid-Atlantic Wrestling starting off his career. Now we're seeing him 9 years later and he's doing the Nature Boy gimmick. Never really got the idea of Landell using that gimmick, especially since it's a heel gimmick to rip someone else off and Ric Flair was a heel throughout most of the 80s. So the natural feud was just never there. Pillman's just coming off a tag team run with Tom Zink, who he held the US tag titles with for a few months, and he's now getting a singles push here. This isn't much of a match as Landell's offence is really boring and sloppy, and he isn't giving Pillman much here. Pillman gets a win with a crossbody off the top rope and one of his few offensive moves of the match. Next up we've got the Iron Sheik and Captain Mike Rotunda. This is a period where Rotunda goes from the captain of the Varsity Club to randomly keeping the captain name and becoming a ship's captain. Sheik takes over early and he's wearing some really interesting peach coloured tights. The arena must be boiling hot tonight as Sheik and Rotunda haven't done that much but they're dripping in sweat. The Sheik's moustache is magnificent. I really need to consider growing one like that. Rotunda picks up the win with a sloppy backslide to a big pop. So one thing you always miss these days is crowds popping for a babyface win. Gordon Soley interviews Harley Race about his upcoming match with Tommy Rich. And they mention that, that Rich defeated Race for the world title back in 1980. Go back to the ring and it's Dirty Dutch Mantel versus Doug Furness. Furness looks absolutely huge here. I didn't even recognise him before he was introduced. Mantel is up there with George Steele on the hairiness scale. Furness is such a great athlete, he does a backflip off the top rope and he hits a really high drop kick. 
This is a pretty decent match. Mantel's a solid wrestler who knows how to tell a story in the ring. And Furness gets a win with a great belly-to-belly suplex. Jim Cornette is next to be interviewed by Gordon Soley regarding the US tag team title match between the Midnight Express and the Southern Boys. And then we've got Harley Race versus Tommy Rich. This was a huge match, like 10 years or so before this. Race is at the end of his career here. I think this might actually be his final pay-per-view match. Richard's aged a lot and he's lost his boyish looks, which kind of takes away most of his gimmick. This is a good hard-hitting match, or as good as can be expected with where they are in their career. Race gets a win when Rich hits a crossbody from the top rope, but Race rolls through. Polly Dangerously and the pre-Undertaker Mean Mark Callis are being interviewed by Gordon Soley. Callis is a US title match against Lex Luger later tonight. Callis fails miserably to try and rip apart a Lex Luger t-shirt. They really should have pre-cut that for him. Next up is the US Tag Team title match. We've got the champions of Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane versus the Southern Boys, Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. This match is excellent, it's no surprise given who's in there. The Southern Boys are quite new to the promotion, so the Midnights give them a ton of shine early on and bump like crazy to get the crowd behind them, and it works. Lane and Smothers have a karate standoff, which Tracy gets a better off for a big pop. Midnights get the heat on Smothers. Eaton hits his leg drop off the top rope, but he doesn't go for the cover, and instead tags in Stan. Express are using all their famous double team moves, and are getting a babyface pop from the crowd. Jim Cornette, about a year or so ago, did a watch-along of this match on his podcast, talking about how the match was put together. It's some really good insight, and after you listen to this podcast, you should check it out. I'll put a link up to it on Twitter. Armstrong gets a hot tag in Clean's house. Armstrong hits a dropkick off the top rope on Lane, while Smothers was holding him up. Express hit the rocket launcher on Armstrong, but only get a two-count. Smothers and Armstrong switch, but Smothers only gets a two-count from a small package. Eaton whips Smothers into the ropes, where Lane hits him with a kick to the back of the head and Ian rolls him up for the win to retain the titles. It's such a great match. Go out your way to watch this one. Gordon Soley is with the Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin, who are just covered in glitter and makeup. They talk about their match upcoming against the Steiners. Next match in the ring is the WCW debut of Big Van Vader against the Z-Man Tom Zink. Vader is one of my all-time favourites. In my opinion, probably the best over 350 pounder of all time. I'm gutted that the timing's never worked out and we never got a Prime Vader versus a Prime Brock Lesnar match. Vader comes up with his headpiece on. He doesn't wear the same mask as he became famous for, although he does have a mask on. Vader starts off with some stiff forearms in the corner and then follows up with an avalanche and a short clothesline. If Z-Man gets much in offence in this match, then I'll be disappointed. Vader hits a press slam and then a big elbow drop. Vader's whole presentation is incredible here. This is the perfect showcase for him. Vader finishes Zenk off with a clothesline and then a big splash. The Horsemen, minus Ric Flair, are interviewed regarding their six-month tag match later against the Junkyard Dog, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and El Higonte. The Horsemen at this point are Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, Sid Vicious and Ole Anderson's manager. We've got the Freebirds versus the Steiner Brothers. 
I've spoken before about how the Steiners are probably my favourite tag team of all time, so I'm looking forward to this match, even though the Freebirds are probably not the best opponents for them. The Freebirds jump the Steiners to start the match, but it doesn't take long for the Steiners to get the advantage with a couple of Steiner lines from Rick and Scott. Rick ends up throwing Garvin around for a couple of minutes before Hayes tags in. Then Scott gets in and he throws both Freebirds around too, including an underhook powerbomb on Hayes and a tilt of suplex on Garvin. The Freebirds bail and Hayes gets heckled with a Michael is a bitch chant from the crowd. The Freebirds get the heat on Rick. There's not much to the heat segment to be honest. Scott gets a hot tag and runs wild and he hits the Frankensteiner on Hayes, but Garvin takes him up with the DDT. The ref's getting Garvin out of the ring and Rick hits Hayes with an overhead belly to belly and he puts Scott on the top for the win. So, so, so much. The Steiners looked great, but the Freebirds were the Freebirds. Six-man tag team action now and it's a horseman against Sting's crew. So, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham and Sid Vicious against the Junkyard Dog, Paul Orndorff and El Higonte. Mr. Wonderful's totally miscast as a babyface here. He's definitely just a natural heel. This is El Higonte's pay-per-view de- debut. He does look impressive, but you just know that's going to disappear as soon as the bell rings. Orton and Sid start off, and wonderful cleans house on all three of the, ho- the horsemen. story of the match here is that the heels are scared of Gigante, and he keep they keep trying to avoid him. JYD is past his prime at this point, but I'm looking forward to seeing his Mid-South run when we start that in a couple of weeks. The Horsemen get the heat on Orndorff. Sid is over huge with the crowd. When he's on the outside, there's just a big We Want Sid chant. There's just a horrible finish to this match as the Horsemen are decued for throwing JYD over the top rope. El Higonte comes into clean house and the Horsemen bail. El Higonte never got into the match, he never did anything and probably for the best. The action was decent but the finish was terrible. Up next is Lex Luger defending his US title against Mean Mark who's with Polly Dangerously. It's just always strange to see a pre-Undertaker Mark Calloway. This is about four months or so before his debut as Undertaker. Luger comes out to a big pop here. There are some great mullets in this match, both Mean Mark and Lex Luger have got great ones and so's Polly on the outside. Taker must have wore big lifts in his boots when he started out as Undertaker as he only looks about an inch or two bigger than Luger here. Not much to the start of the match as they just work arm bars and hammer locks. Mean Mark does a great leapfrog and hits a big boot to take over and does the, the top rope walk. He is a really good athlete, really agile. Luger no sells a suplex and he comes back with clotheslines. He goes for the torture rack, but Mean Mark's feet hit the referee and he goes down. Let's Paul E come in and he hits Luger with his telephone. Luger kicks out with two though to a big pop. Mean Mark then hits a really sloppy clothesline and he goes for the heart punch, which Luger blocks with a big boot and he hits a clothesline for the win. Another decent match and the crowd were hot for the finish. The World Tag Team title match is next, and it's the Rock and Roll Express challenging Doom, who are Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Doom have the best theme tune that WCW has ever produced. This should be a good match, as the Rock and Roll Express are perfect playing the underdog babyfaces against the power team. Ron Simmons and Robert Gibson start things off. 
There's a great line from Jim Ross regarding Teddy Long at ringside. He says, his mouth is so big you could whisper in his own ear. Ross also points out that it's five years to the day since the Rock and Rolls won their first tag team championship. This is a dream to call for for JR, as he's able to talk about Doom's legit American football careers. A different express match than usual is it's Gibson playing the babyface in peril rather than Ricky Morton. Although just as I say that, Morton gets the tag and it's not long until Doom are double teaming him and start the heat segment on Ricky. Morton's great in this role, takes a heck of a beating. He starts a mini comeback but he gets caught in a power slam by Reed. There's a bit of miscommunication and that lets him get the hot tag to Robert Gibson. Teddy Long ends up in the ring and gets nailed by Gibson, who then turns around into a shoulder block off the top rope by Reed for the win. Pretty good match here. It's now time for the main event of the night, and it's Ric Flair versus Sting for the world title. There's no DQ, and the dudes with attitude will be on the outside of the ring, with Ole Anderson handcuffed to El Higonte, and there's no sign of the horseman. The backstory here is that Sting was in the Horseman and at Starcade 1989 he won the Future Shock Tournament which included Flair, Luger and the Great Muta. He won by pinning Flair in the final match. This was to guarantee a title shot. Sting was told by the Horseman to give up the title shot and when he refused the Horseman turned on him and kicked him out of the group. Later that night at the Clash of Champions Sting was legitimately injured climbing the cage. He tore his patella which meant that his title shot in February at Wrestle War had to be postponed. This meant a rushed face turn and a loss for Lex Luger to take his place before Sting was ready to come back and wrestle Flair here in July. We get a rare appearance from Jim Heard as he's out there to make sure that Ole gets handcuffed to El Higonte. The crowd are rabbit for this match and they're ready for a title change. Because of the real injury to Sting's knee, this works perfect for the story of a Flair match. The match starts off in the usual way for Flair and Sting, with Sting no selling the chops in the corner. As it's just over two years since the famous 45 minute time limit draw on the first Clash of the Champions, which made Sting a star for life. At about the 10 minute mark, Flair finally takes control and starts working over the knee. But then Flair misses a knee drop and Sting puts Flair in the figure four, but Flair gets to the ropes. Rick is giving Sting a ton here. He could easily have taken the majority of the match since he was losing, but that's not Flair's way of doing things. Flair is back in control, working over the leg, but it's not long until Sting's back in charge again with a press slam. Sting hits the Stinger splash and he goes for the Scorpion Deathlock. This brings out the Horseman, but the dudes with attitude hold him off. Flair moves out the way of a Sting knee in the corner and he goes for the figure four. But Sting counters that into an inside cradle for the three count. The crowd's just electric for the title change. Flair did everything possible to make Sting look like a star here. This really should have been a great title run for Sting. But of course WCW then put him in that awful storyline with the Black Scorpion, which just killed his title run. By the end of the year it was over and Flair was back to being champion again. This was a great show. It was booked really well. The early matches weren't anything special, but they did their job of getting the crowd warmed up. The two tag team title matches were excellent, and it was fun to see a pre-Undertaker mean mark taking on Lex Luger. The crowd were, were hot for the entire night. They came expecting a title change and they got what they wanted. I would definitely recommend that you watch this match.
Thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Next Tuesday, we'll be looking at another reader-requested show, Beach Blast 1992, with Sting against Cactus Jack in a Falls Count Anywhere match, and an Iron Man match with Ricky Steamboat and Ravishing Rick Rude. If you have a request for a show to be reviewed, send me an email to retroreviews at hotmail.com. This coming Sunday, we'll be back with Mid-Atlantic Wrestling from the 21st of November 1981, featuring Jake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat, Roddy Piper and much more. Remember to subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. Take care of yourself and I will speak to you soon.